0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the 10 12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12. Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Yes, it's Thursday. And I know there's only one game left in the regular, well, same in the regular season, the postseason. There's only one Big 12 game this weekend, but we're still going to be here to pick it. And of course, a non Big 12 game, as we always do. And joining me, as they do every week, to make our picks. Daniel Alexander of Grinders and Blinders, and Chris Ross, the LGG, OG himself. Now, we we're recording this on Tuesday night, usually we record about midday Wednesday, so it's a little bit earlier, so let's hope that our picks that we uh, that we make don't get canceled, as far as the non-Big 12 picks, or the Big 12 championship game for that matter. But it's not like it would be the first time we've made picks for games that don't end up happening, because 2020, folks, 2020. Um, before we hop into that, since we only have a couple of picks, I've got a few other things that I want to get to today. Of course, Wednesday was National Signing Day, well, the early National Signing Day. But let's be honest, anymore, it's the signing day. There's always some stragglers, some marquee kids who want to wait till February. Uh, But for the most part, most of your recruiting is done now, before the end of the year, which is kind of nice. Obviously, it was a huge day on Wednesday for our our next guest, Nick Harris of 24-7 Sports joining us today to kind of recap some things that went down in the Big 12. Uh, Nick, uh, how you doing, bud? Doing pretty good. Can't
2: complain. Uh, it's my favorite day of the year. So, um, you know, it's it's our Christmas. It's recruiting Christmas. So I couldn't be happier.
1: Before we dive into Big 12, I, I've heard the stats basically like compared to the first year this started. At this point, guesstimate more than 85% of all recruits will commit uh, during the early signing period. Is that about accurate?
2: Yeah, I would say so. And probably even a little bit more so this year, um, just especially with how COVID really affected recruiting in this 2021 cycle. Uh, there were a lot of kids that locked things down early um and, you know figure- figured out where they were going pretty early on, so I would probably put that number at around like ninety to ninety two percent around this cycle.
1: I'm really curious now you're seeing all the kids in your transfer portal. I know there's a lot of kids with extra eligibility, but the number of scholarships available isn't changing. How different is this year going to be compared to other years with the transfers and the scholarship limits and basically all these kids trying to find new homes and nowhere for them to go?
2: Yeah, it's going to be really weird and it's just going to have to be something like college staffs do. We're just going to have to go with it as it happens. Um, You know, these are unblazed trails that we're having to go down in these COVID times just in general. And, you know, that kind of goes towards college athletics as well and not even college football. We're seeing it in basketball as well, Um, you know, with the implementation of a a one-time transfer rule. So it's definitely going to be weird, but we're going to try to cover it as as best as we can. And uh, I'm sure the college athletics uh, uh, higher ups are going to have a lot of figuring out to do when it comes to, you know, scholarship limits and, you know, who they can bring on and, uh, you know, who to drop and stuff like that. So it's definitely going to get weird, but I'm all for it.
1: I appreciate you saying unblazed trails over unprecedented times. I'm going to steal that and start using it because I'm tired of saying, <laughs> I think we're all tired of the term unprecedented times. Um, okay, okay. So hopping into the big 12 uh, at, at this point, Oklahoma has the number one class in the Big 12 followed by Texas OSU uh, who took a bump up today, West Virginia at fourth, uh, Baylor, Iowa state, Kansas state, Kansas at eight, TCU and then Texas tech down there at the bottom. Um, Although they did just, and I I realize at this point, when this pod goes up, it will have happened. Uh, Texas Tech fans, very excited they did land their four-star quarterback. Uh, I know the last name is Morton. I'm probably going to mispronounce. Barron, B-E-H-R-N. It is I I believe it's what I've always said, so we'll go with it. Man, white people and their spelling of things. Uh, (laughs) uh, So talk to me about Oklahoma and Texas, because they recruited a level that no one else in the Big 12 does. That's just the way it's always been. It's the way it is for a variety of reasons. um, Kind of talk to me about these two classes. Oklahoma with 16 commits, one five-star, four, 12 four-stars. Uh, Texas with 18 commits, one five-star, eight four-stars. So this is a goal, of course, from 24-7. That's what we're basing all of our, our numbers off of. A, I prefer 24-7. B, Nick here works for 24-7, so it would make a lot more sense to use it. Uh, just kind of talk to me about the comparison between the OU class and the Texas class. Is there a big difference? Are they pretty close?
2: Yeah, I would say they're pretty close. And, you know, despite the roller coaster that's been the past decade of Texas football, uh, they've pretty consistently been able to land the number one class in the big 12. Like I said, consistently, you know, over the past decade, um, you know, just kind of selling, you know, different points as the decade has gone on. Uh, But OU was really uh, able to hammer home just their, their recency of winning. Um, I mean, the, the conference championships that they've been able to get in the past decade have definitely helped and the coaching staff that they have, at Oklahoma, has done a great job developing relationships, keying in on early evaluations, offering kids early, um, you know, keeping those relationships going throughout the cycle. And you know, we kind of saw that today with uh, Savion Bird uh, committing to Oklahoma and, you know, becoming a, another one of their four-star uh, key points of their class this year. Um, that's another kid they got in on early, uh, developed a key relationship, and Texas had a massive lead for Savion Bird. I would say even this time last year um, one of his good friends Jaquindon Jackson let's just go back to this time last year Jaquindon Jackson was signing to Texas Um, he was really close to Jaquindon Jackson Um, crystal balls had pretty much been 100% I believe at that time for Texas and uh, uh, Oklahoma and SMU both came in for Savion Bird and Oklahoma was able to uh, slam the door today and now we look at you know. Uh, December 16th, 2020, Jaquin and Jackson's looking for a new home as well. So um, again, just the up and down roller coaster that Texas football has been, it's kind of hurt them on the recruiting trail as well, uh, just because they've been trying to sell um, uh, what they believe the product will be uh, in 2020 uh, ahead of the season instead of, you know, what it has been. Um, And, you know, Oklahoma was able to sell what they have been, what they will be and what they will continue to be going forward.
1: Yeah, obviously the issues on the recruiting trail this season, part of the complaints regarding Tom Herman, them losing the, uh, it, who's the... Who's the quarterback that he committed that's going to Ohio State now? Quinn Ewers. Thank you. Yeah, There's too many names to keep a track of. That doesn't mean that this Texas uh, signing class is bad by any means. The uh, four-star safety, J.D. Coffey, is a guy that I have watched some tape on and I'm uh, very excited to see play in the Big 12. I'm really, really high on that kid. Um. So that's Oklahoma, Texas. Everybody loves to talk Oklahoma and Texas. If we listen to national stuff, it's going to be Oklahoma and Texas. And that's that's great. But since we're a big 12 pot, I want to touch on some of the other teams. Before before I do, you know, we talked about rankings. Oklahoma one, Texas, two. Oklahoma State bumped up to three now. But if you go and look into it, there's more to it than just rankings, right? Um, it's based off a point system. Certain players get points based off of um, what they're rated. So, but... That doesn't mean that these classes are all created the same. For instance, um, average rating of players. Oklahoma is the number three class in the Big 12 by 24-7's rankings. Their average rated is 86.32. I go down to West Virginia. They're in fourth, but the average is 87.19. And I know that's not a big difference, but while o- I'm, I'm curious from your view, what is more important when it comes to trying to evaluate a class? Is it the average rating of the players in the class, or is it just the overall you know, point system?
2: I would believe it's that overall points system um, just because I also cover the Baylor beat as well as the Texas beat. And just kind of looking at the uh, the Baylor recruiting class that they have this year, um, the range and ratings that these guys have signed in the class now uh, are pretty wide. And I'm sure the average would be pretty low if you average that out. Um, you know, Baylor's kind of sitting in the middle of the pack now, uh, the big 12, uh, you know, based on that point system. And that's because they have guys you know, like Kyron Jones from Shadow Creek, uh, a dual threat quarterback who accounted for 64 touchdowns in his junior year. He's uh, having a pretty good senior year despite um, some injury problems. And, you know, guys like that are really boosting that class when it comes to the point system. And I think that's a better way to kind of evaluate the overall feel of the class. And, you know, I kind of like how we do it at 24-7, a uh, fr- free promo.
1: <laughs> no, look, at I- I, I follow recruiting a lot. I cover it for Cowboys Ride for Free. i on the Oklahoma State side. I, you guys are the, the site that I go to because I think you guys do the best job. And I understand. Also, if, if people are curious, uh, with 24-7, there's the 24-7 rating and the composite rating. So a lot of times people will you say, this guy's a four-star. When it shows up as a three, it's because the actual site rating list him as a four over the composite, which is a combination of rivals 24-7 ESPN. So a little correct Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. All right. I just want to, like, I don't want to say that and be like, no, you're wrong. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, so, well, actually. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about, you say you cover Baylor. So let's talk a little bit about this Baylor class. Like, um, rough year for them, year one for Dave Aranda. I always say you don't judge a, a recruiter by the class in, in his first season. You always do it. What's that first class after that first full year. We've actually had time to to work on building a class. How would you evaluate this Baylor class that, that Dave Aranda has put together?
2: You know, I would honestly say that, you know, Dave Aranda and Co have actually done a phenomenal job in this cycle. Um, if you had to think, I'll go ahead and ask, if you had to think where um, the Baylor class ranked in 2020 in the Big 12, where would you think it would be? You know, going to the Big 12 championship, where would you think it, that class would have been?
1: Well, okay, so uh, without looking, yes you would think it would be good however with the coaching change I think that has a huge effect I would say somewhere around fifth they were eighth in the big 12 last year okay.
2: and it was a it was a really big knock on kind of Matt Roll and you know what he was able to do as far as like on the recruiting trail he wasn't really able to land his top prospects that he wanted in the class of 2020 you know Dave Aranda came in with uh, director of player personnel Omar Hales who stayed behind um, in, the, in the class of 2021 and uh, they were able to land some big time dudes and at one point they had three of my top 10 receivers in the state um, committed and obviously lost a couple of them along the way. Uh, but, but the thing about uh, that I've noticed with Baylor in this cycle, they made key early evaluations and they stuck to those evaluations. It didn't matter what the offer list was you know, beforehand. And those guys ended up being dudes. And uh, we can just kind of point to a kid from uh, Colleen Shoemaker uh, down in the central Texas area that they were able to land a couple of weeks back, Monterey Baldwin. He's a five foot 960 pound slot receiver, one of the fastest kids that I've seen in person. I didn't know who he was until Baylor offered. He was committed to Incarnate Word, had a few other uh, FCS offers. And uh, Baylor offered. They liked, what it, they liked what they saw. They made a key uh, late evaluation in that case. And uh, they were able to land him and he committed the next day. And, uh, you know, I think that's a kid that they can get on campus and, you know, in a couple of years, get him in the strength and conditioning program. And then, boom, they have a star. And we can look at another kid like Tevin Williams from uh, Stillwater. Um, he's risen to four star status uh, in, in recent months. Um, and that was another kid that they got on super early when he only had about eight offers from, um group of five schools, uh, and some uh, military academies as well. So uh, again, I I think Dave Aranda just considering the uh, obstacles that they had to overcome with COVID-A, B, a coaching change, um, C, trying to sell uh, a coaching product without hitting the field. I think they did a great job in this cycle and you couldn't ask for anything better at uh, sitting at number five in the Big 12.
1: I want to go down to Kansas for a minute. When Les Miles was hired, I was a little bit higher on them some because I didn't think Les Miles was hired to win games necessarily. His his reasoning was to boost the the image of Kansas and to help Kansas on the recruiting trail. Now this class is ranked eighth this year. They have twenty one commits, um, all, all three stars. But I am curious from you, you know that a lot of guys leave. How would you evaluate this Kansas class for twenty twenty one?
2: You know, Kansas, they have some really good recruiting guys on their staff, uh, most notably Emmett Jones. Uh, he was a head coach at uh, South Oak Cliff and Dallas ISD. Uh, a while back and now he's the wide receivers coach at kansas and he does the bulk of the recruiting uh, in the state of texas for kansas and they've offered a ton of guys uh, from the state of texas and they were able to land quite a bit uh, in this cycle as well Uh, some guys i really like that they landed uh, garfield lawrence he's a defensive end from uh, tyler legacy Um, uh, my good friend mike roach over at horns 24 7 saw him a couple weeks ago and i've seen him a couple of times this year as well uh, a really good defensive end that, you know, I think uh, Kansas made a great evaluation on. Uh, another one, DeKedrick Stearns. He's an offensive tackle from Austin Del Valley, uh, Same high school as Caleb Burton, the five-star receiver committed to Ohio State for next year's cycle. Um, he's another kid that's just got a lot of size and I think Kansas will be able to get on campus and, you know, turn him into an early playing time type guy. But I think my favorite kid in this class for Kansas is uh, Damarian Alexander uh, from China Spring, Texas. Another Central Texas kid um he's a kind of a defensive end linebacker jack hybrid uh that i think um K- kansas will be able to develop at the next level really well and you know that's a kid that i think has nfl draft potential
1: are there some guys in this class obviously there's gonna be a lot of you get the fives and the fours and those are what matters like recruiting matters recruiting rankings matter if you want to win a national championship you got to be top just let's just establish that that is the truth and move on um but i'm curious you know we we see it all the time on, uh, guys who go as walk-ons or, or three stars that rise up. It's just a, a thing of college football. It's one of the most fun things to see and to follow. So I'm curious across the Big 12, are there some guys here that you feel their rating is too low or that you really think because of where they're go- they are ending up really have an opportunity to pop, whether that's early or just to, to graduate as some, some real stars?
2: Yeah, I'm not really trying to boost our ratings guys here, but I think they do a phenomenal job in, in, uh, you know, evaluating these guys and, you know, giving them an accurate rating. And sometimes – um, you know, these, these kids kind of are late risers. Let's look at Marvin Covington, for example. He's a three-star corner out of Mansfield Lake Ridge who's committed to TCU. Um, right now, he's gonna sit as a three-star and he'll most likely end as a three-star in the rankings whenever the 2021 cycle wraps. But this is a kid that I think will be phenomenal in Fort Worth. He's just a kid that was a late riser, um, picked up about, you know, eight to 10 offers, uh, most notably like Miami, uh, TCU, uh, Baylor was in there as well. Um, So, you know, that's just a kid who doesn't have a lot of uh, context as far as his career goes. Um, and so a three-star is probably good for for him at this time, uh, at this point in his career. Uh, but looking towards to so what he could do at the next level once he gets developed, once he kind of fills into his frame, that's a kid that I can be, a mo- that I think can be a monster in the TCU secondary, just like they've had in recent years. Uh, another three-star that I really like at TCU was uh, Landon Watson, uh, defensive end out of Hutto. He was once committed to LSU. LSU had uh, dropped him at a certain point. I think that was a bad decision. I think Landon Watson is one of the best defensive ends in the state. I think he finished with 18 and a half sacks on his senior year. Uh, which is pretty phenomenal. A couple other three stars I like. I really like Nick Martin. He's a linebacker out of Texarkana, Pleasant Grove, uh, committed to Oklahoma State. Another kid that was kind of a late riser uh, out of a small town program, but a really good program up in Texarkana. Another one, Silas Barr out of Pottsboro. He's another three star committed to Oklahoma State. Um, he, He competed in the state championship last year. Uh, he's moved over from defensive line to offensive line in the past couple of years, and uh, I think he's got a lot of potential at the next level as well. But you can look at any class in the Big 12, and you'll probably find two or three three stars that you could easily bet on, uh, you know, getting to that next level and uh, competing right away.
1: Yeah, you're talking my honey hole with OSU, but I I paid close attention to Landon Watson. That's a guy Oklahoma State was on as well. I, I really like him. I think TCU got a a heck of a player there. Obviously, like we mentioned, most of the signing is done today. However, there are still plenty of people who will sign come the second signing period in February through April. For the Big 12, who are some guys that are still out there that teams are going to be wanting to keep an eye on?
2: I could really only speak for Texas and Baylor at this point just because the boards are going to be vastly changing even a week from now um you know now that um the recruiting staffs are going to be able to look at the guys that they have signed in the class that are guarantees to show up on campus and then the hill the holes that they still need to fill moving forward whether that be with uh, uh, graduate transfers straight up transfers or uh, some kids left in their recruiting class but uh for texas uh you look at lj johnson he's a four-star running back out of Cy fair uh, it's going to pretty much come down to texas or texas a&m i think oklahoma kind of has an outside chance at, and you know being in that final grouping uh, but i like where texas sits right now and um you know, moving forward, uh, I still have a crystal ball on Texas. I'm going to keep it there until, you know, I hear something otherwise. Um, an- another kid to kind of keep an eye on is Jojo Earl. Um, he's committed to LSU but did not sign today. Uh, so that's definitely a name to keep an eye on. He, uh, he was big on Texas early in his recruitment. He was also big on TCU early in his recruitment. So I think those are two Big 12 schools to keep an eye on. I also think Florida has a shot there. Uh, on the Baylor side, they're looking at a lot of Juco offensive linemen uh, to fill some offensive line holes that they have left in the class. Uh, And I think we can kind of see that with a lot of the big 12 schools that you might see them looking towards the JUCO route, uh, just so we can find some guys that, uh, you know, are proven.
1: Awesome. Nick, man, this has been awesome. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy uh, Wednesday signing day to join us and cover the big 12. Um, For everybody who wants to check out the work that you do, uh, covering recruiting at 24-7, where can they do so?
2: Nick Harris two four seven on Twitter. I pretty much post all of my work there, so uh, it, it can pretty much take you anywhere you need to go. But uh, give me a follow, shoot me a DM, said so that you listened, and uh, you know we can strike up a conversation as well.
1: It's the holiday season, and we know what you want under your tree. Homefield Apparel, comfortable, vintage, college sports apparel from Homefield Apparel specifically. I would suggest the sweaters and the hoodies, as it is burr cold outside. Go to Homefield Apparel right now. Shop from more than a hundred different schools that they have researched, designed, and created awesome gear for t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. Baylor and Iowa State are Big Twelve schools, but they've got Colorado School of Mines. They've got Delaware, UC Irvine, the Anteaters. Oh yeah, Missouri, Auburn, Memphis, Butler. You're gonna find a school in there that you're gonna like. So go to HomefieldApparel.com. Use the promo code 1012 get 20% off your first order. This deal is only going to go to the end of the year, so you need to act fast. 1012 T E N 1 2, 20% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. Be rocking some awesome, comfortable, and I cannot emphasize comfortable, comfortable, comfortable enough college sports apparel this basketball season. Been a pretty wild couple of weeks for the Texas Tech football program of their season now over, as it has been reported that Texas Tech will not go to a bowl game this offseason. That's not shocking after what happened earlier this week with Texas Tech head coach Mike Wells, or Matt Wells firing his offensive coordinator, David Yost. This is something I think is worth talking about, so I'm very excited to have Jackson Griffin of the Ramblin' Raiders podcast joining us today. Jackson, welcome to the Ten Twelve man.
3: Yeah, Philip. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk. Uh, you know, either Red Raider or Big Twelve sports action, and um, being on a podcast that's focused primarily on the Big Twelve at large. It's uh, it's good to you know be talking about the good guys, man.
1: <laughs> the good guys. I like that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's just dive in here. Obviously, the the rumors that we were hearing for a little while, specifically that was was that that Matt Wells' job was in jeopardy. Now, Obviously, the athletic department itself uh was was very very tight lipped very quiet there was nothing coming out as far as we could see and then the news broke um on tuesday that the, that david Yost, offensive coordinator for for the past two seasons was was out and uh, texas tech would be in the market for a new oc kind of walk us through your thoughts on on that decision and and how we kind of got here
3: yeah you know I- I think there was a a good you know a solid contention of fans out there that that wanted this to happen and really thought this was the logical move, you know. And it the, the upsetting thing about this really this entire last week, uh, and I'm a fan of Kirby Hoke. I really am. You know, I think he he's um, you know had an admirable uh, tenure at uh, at Texas Tech. Obviously, he's 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 been in some hot water this year with the unfortunate, you know. Um, Marlene Stallings saga and, and the scandal with that. And, and I thought that firing her, you know, he moved on that. Uh, could have done it a little bit earlier, but, you know, that for the most part, he's he's handled it well. and uh, But to this point, you know, I have to admit that it, I think tech fans were really upset with a lack of leadership this this last week. And in the, in, in them just going radio silent and basically leaving us in the dark. You know, we we beat Kansas. It, barely it didn't feel like we beat them uh, 16 to 13 just an awful outing terrible way to end the regular uh you know regular season and, and conference play and after that you know immediately the speculation uh is is starting to take place people are saying you know yost has got to go yost has got to go well the athletic department you know radio silent nobody says anything and then now all of a sudden you have these these rumors of way art briles you know might be coming to texas tech and and uh, that's been a narrative that's been pushed by some of our, uh, at least what from what my understanding and what I'm told is it's, it's a narrative pushed by some wealthy uh, donors, um, you know, that are high up in the, the uh, Red Raider Club, Texas Tech Alumni Association. And uh, from what I could tell, a majority of the fans did not want that. I mean, it caused a huge rift and, and a divide in our fan base. And all across Twitter, social media, you know, the the general consensus I got was that you know, this is a this is a PR nightmare. This is a, this, you know, unethical, all, you know, all, all these things start floating around. And and still, you know, Kirby Hokut, nothing, no, no statement to just kind of quell the fans, quell the the chaos. And um, and then we started, you know, then Gus Malzahn gets fired and, and tech fans are it, it was just, you know, they left us in disarray and I was you know, I get that Matt Wells is recovering from COVID and, and that he's, uh, he's doing better now. Actually, I think he had a press conference this morning. I, I was busy with some work stuff and hadn't uh, had a chance to listen to it. Or maybe it's coming up this afternoon. But uh, he's doing better now. And I get how that might have, you know, put a, a kink in the, in the timeline. And, and it, it might have been harder for them to communicate. But the lack of transparency and, and everything that resulted from that, the chaos that resulted from that, is, was really upsetting to Texas Tech fans. You know, it, it's especially if this was his intention all along was just to fire, you know, have Wells get rid of David Yost and still be our head coach. He could have just came out and, and said something, I think, to that extent um, earlier on just to get Texas Tech fans to, to, you know, not buy into all the rumors of, like I said, the Art Bryles. The, uh, I, it's so much has happened this last week. I'm trying to remember. There were a couple different rumors going on. But, you know, I'm glad that we're over that part of it now.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, the Art brow stuff is uh, – I i am on record saying if any Big 12 school tried to bring Art brows on to staff, period, either the Big 12 needs to step in or the, <laughs> they need to be removed from the conference because we're not going to deal with that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that rumor, I, I saw some tech fans, the idea of, of trying to go after um, Gus Malzahn, it, which to me would be Gus is going to show up somewhere and immediately start winning. Uh, where oh, yeah. um, the idea yeah. of tech being too good for Gus was a little oh, bit like man. I understand that... not wanting the the retread thing and I don't love the retreads but also I think there's some I think there's some Tuberville, uh <laughs> scars <laughs> left over yeah. so that notion doesn't hold up yeah. really well
3: yeah um, I tech fans that didn't want the or I think Gus Malzahn for for where our program's at would have been a home run the fans and I get like you said there's the the discrepancies with that you know the the fear of another Tuberville coming in, but for tech fans to turn their nose up at the success he's had was kind of laughable to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you got to check yourself and realize where our program's at and and what he could do, but you know, that's neither here nor there now.
1: So Yost is essentially the scapegoat. That's the guy that's gone. Um, But I could argue, and I look, total offense and total defense numbers are stupid. They're a terrible way of measuring things. I agree. (laughs) However, for this discussion, Texas Tech, uh, in year one of Matt Wells and David Yost, number two in the Big 12 in total offense, number 10 in total defense. This year, number four in total offense, number nine in total defense. So I'm I'm curious, why is David Yost the scapegoat here and the thing that fans seem to think will, will be the cure-all for Texas Tech?
3: So for David Yost, here, here's one thing I'll say for Yost, it's a little bit unfortunate, is that he had some... <sighs> extremely large shoes to fill with the departure of cliff kingsbury i mean let's Mm -hmm. you know kingsbury had his issues uh obviously as a head coach at texas tech things he had to figure out but you know calling it how it is he's one of the greatest offensive minds in in my opinion in football just as it is he's a he's a offensive guru i mean he had our uh during his time at texas tech he had Texas you know, offense prolific and, and nationally recognized and was putting up big numbers. So, Dave, I mean, David Yost had a uh, – again, I mean, it was almost a unachievable uh, amount of success he had to attain um, to, to get back to that, you know, pedigree. But the thing that at least upset me about Yost, and, and I don't know if this is actually – I'd have to do some research on this. I know it was pretty miraculous that Tech actually played an entire schedule this year. We didn't have any COVID, you know, Well, we we had some guys get COVID, but we didn't have any games canceled, you know, any cancellations due to COVID. So I don't know how that factors in, or if that's already, you know, if it's an adjusted stat. uh, Because I mean, when you say, you know, fourth, uh, what was that fourth total? Fourth and total
1: offense, ninth and total total offense.
3: Okay, yeah, it's it's so odd, you know, to to think of it that way. Because watching these games, which uh, you know, obviously uh, covering Texas Tech athletics on Ramblin' Raiders, you know, we do religiously. The thing that upset me about David Yost is in my biggest gripe is one his kind of lack of consistency because there would be and this has been two years for him uh, where I've just I I would say, you know, he never really created an identity. It's like uh, against Oklahoma State, for example, you know, our offense looks great. You know, he's running some plays, getting people involved Alan Bowman's making plays where our offense looks solid. Uh, enough and then you have games like Iowa State or uh, Oklahoma or Kansas or I mean where it's just like the the productivity is not there like in the slightest and so it was like he just couldn't ever really uh, deliver consistently I think was what upset fans um, his, his unwillingness to adjust you know it maybe I don't watch enough Big 12 football but it just seemed like I mean he screened himself into getting fired right it's like you know it'd be run run uh screen or or uh 10 yard slant and and you know he just kept doing this it's like this generic and and easily to def- you know easy uh easily able to uh, be figured out something like for you know defensive coordinators to to use against us it's um his unwillingness to adjust it's like he uh i remember another issue I've, a lot of people had was you know his inability and uh, ineptitude to go downfield this year it seemed like and I don't know if that was because our line wasn't as good as they've been in uh well I wouldn't say we've ever had a really you know just overly stout O-line but you know they they definitely um hurt us a little bit this year but he just you know with threats like Basher and and Kashawn Carter and uh, Eric Azucama who's you know the best receiver on our team right now just not not having the willingness to go downfield a little bit more and also utilize the middle of the field. It seemed like he, it, unless it was like a, you know, little uh, five yard slant, or 10 yard slant, he just w- didn't really utilize the middle of the field or downfield enough. Didn't target our big receivers enough downfield for people's liking. Um, to me, I look at it, it as w- with the talent we had on the offensive side of the ball and the skill positions this year, great running backs, um, and Thompson and White and, uh, and, and also great receivers, a lot of young talent and some older guys. I just feel like we should have done more with what we had. And, and, and honestly, at the end of the day, you know, Tech fans are so disappointed in the productivity that there might be an element uh, to what you're saying that's correct, that maybe he is just a scapegoat and nobody's happy. I mean, here we're the ninth, you know, ninth best in total defense, and everybody loves Patterson because it seems like when you're watching these games – our defense is doing just enough to keep us in it. And then the offense can't get us, you know, execute over the hump. At least that's how I interpreted it. That's how it seemed to me watching these. But yeah, those are the big ones. I'll say lack lack of consistency, unwillingness to adjust, you know, third and deep screen passes. It seems like every other team in the Big 12 can run screens successfully except for us. And yet Yost wants to run them more than anybody else. Just couldn't figure that out. And then uh, didn't use the middle of the field or uh, downfield Pass, um, you know, didn't use those those sectors of the field enough with uh with the with the receivers that we had and their capabilities this year, or, or I guess kind of I mean, my thing, yeah gripes.
1: Yeah, the other thing for Yost though you, is the issues they've had at quarterback, and that's not something I want to hold against Yost. I mean, you think of last year, you were on a guy that they I they didn't even want to have to play, which was always down to like the third string. Mm-hmm. You've had issues this year, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not like trying to defend Yoast. Don't don't take it this way. Um but it does feel a little bit scapegoat. It feels a little bit like to some extent with Texas Tech fans stuck on the Mike Leach identity that I don't think this fan base has ever been able to kid <laughs> off of, of yeah. if the offense isn't the best thing ever, the, yeah. the the team is failing. And it seems to me it's still an issue with with defense. Um with an offense that is inconsistent, argued, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still feels like it's just not a, a complete team. Now, look, I have said this before. Of the, the four coaches hired the year Matt Wells was in the Big 12, he was my least favorite. He still is. Uh, and I think I've reached the point with him where I, I think I know what it is that I, I don't like about him. Um, So he had one season as an offensive coordinator at Utah State before he got the head coaching job. So I almost compare Matt Wells as the, the CEO type. Similar to what we see from a a Dabo or a Coach O or a Jim Harbaugh, of mm. it's not so much that they were great coordinators that got them head coaching jobs. It's these were guys who really good recruiters, CEO type. It's all about hiring the right people, right? And exactly, yeah. that was my problem with at Utah State was it felt like his success, you look at what he did at Utah State as the head coach, did really good, and then they were really down and they were back up to really good, was predicated purely on coordinators. And I understand that matters, period. You have to hire good coordinators. But I think when it comes to, you look at what's happening at LSU, it's all about the coordinators. You know, Your yeah, head coach is a, is a personality and is a recruiter more than he is a X's and O's kind of guy. And so yeah. I look at Matt Wells and I just, I just, I don't want to fire he's, a guy after two seasons, especially not oh, when yeah. year two is COVID year where I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I think we've reached the point where so much football has been played that we've almost forgotten that and now we're not giving using that as, I don't want to say a scapegoat, but as an, as a reason that teams might be struggling that normally wouldn't we look at Penn state. We look at Michigan and how bad they have been this year. I think it's a similar thing for, for Texas tech though. You've been kind of, mediocre to bad for the last few seasons, it's another similar year. How much do you credit COVID and how much do you credit just the way things are going? So again, I don't I don't want to fire it after two seasons, but this does feel like similar to what we talked about with Texas and, and Tom Herman after he replaced his whole staff after last year, that this might be kind of a make or break move for Matt Wells and really puts him on the hottest of seeds heading into 2021.
3: I would absolutely agree with that. And, and there's a lot to be said. I, I, I've harped on this before too, that, you know, the CEO, I, I've never used that terminology about like uh, that analogy that this, the CEO type and coach O is a great example of a guy who's a, you know, a great leader, motivator recruiter, but needed those pieces around him to, uh, to really elevate to the next level. And I think Matt Wells is from what we've seen this year, definitely not a X's and O's coach. Uh, that's, that's for damn sure. He he. Some of the play calls this year were my, that that I guess he had his hands on were um, just mind-boggling to say the least. But uh, we're hoping that it, with you know, and I don't think he's done shaking up our staff. But you know, bringing in a new offensive coordinator, uh, I would like to see our which spe- you know, special teams coordinator Tom Dahl. I think he needs to go as well, um, and, and getting a little bit of a mix up. I'm hoping he can kind of use. Uh, obviously we've seen him do well on the recruiting trail, use that ability to go out and find the the right, you know, pieces to, to this overall puzzle that is Texas tech football and the Texas tech football program. And, you know, get someone in there that can, that can implement a success on the offensive end, which is what we're looking at now. A, a, not necessarily a true air raid, the Mike Leach style, I'm with you, you know, that was a lightning in a bottle. It's, it's, it's adapted. It's a you know, it's, it's changed. It's, it's, um, different now than it was back when tech was when I think kind of revolution, uh, you know, leech was revolutionized, uh, revolutionizing it to a, to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, find, you know, create an identity and, and, uh, a variation of, of the air raid, you know, uh, mixed in and interspersed with some, some solid, you know, uh, run tactics. I know we, we have the backs to do it. I, I truly believe that. I don't think we had the O line to necessarily do it this year, but, uh, yeah, it'd be great to get get a good guy in there. And I, Matt Wells is, is, you know, I wasn't sold on him either, as you as you were talking about the four, you know, coaches that came into the Big 12, uh, uh, not this year, uh, last year was their first season. He was just such an, an uh, you know, nobody had heard of him. It was like so, so much uncertainty because, you know, he, he had been at Utah State. He really, you could argue, had one breakout year there with uh, Jordan Love. Um, but other than that, wasn't overly successful and, and Kirby really went out on a limb here uh, to, to bring him in and and said he was going to make us elite. And I haven't, you know, we, our fan base has not seen it. In fact, I think we've regressed um, I would even argue considerably uh, after getting rid of Cliff Kingsbury. And, and so he is on the, uh, you know, I will say that, that I think he is on the hot seat and um, this move, especially, you know, someone brought up a good point that it's kind of puts, uh, pressure on an offensive coordinator to come in here because, you know, you're you're about to be playing for a head coach whose job is at stake. And and so your job security isn't necessarily a, a selling point as you're getting ready, you know, as Tech goes out and tries to find the right guy. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think going into year three, I, I'd even be willing to state that I, I think if Tech doesn't make a bowl game next year, uh, I think Matt Wells gets gets the boot. I really do.
1: So I think you made a great point there. This is going to be a tough sell as far as this OC job because, and 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 look, I think coaches have egos. And so I'm sure there's plenty of guys who are like, nah, it's fine. I'll come in and I'll do a great job. But it is a tough sell to say, it's basically you have a one year to help save us. Um, that's a tough yeah, so, yeah, sell. So with that in mind, uh, I want to wrap, here up, wrap up here on this. Do you have some names of guys that you have heard or that you would like to see as the next offensive coordinator at Texas Tech?
3: I do so. Uh, you know, immediately whenever Yost was fired, the uh, everybody and everybody and their mom and dad were, were you know giving their opinion on who they want to come in and doing some research. And uh, the I'll just run through a, a quick list here. You know, the most um, ambitious <laughs> hire that I or you know uh, coach offensive coordinator that fans want actually they're number one. This it's a fat chance. I mean, the probability of this happening is almost non-existent um, because of the situation he's in. But a lot of fans have been talking about Graham Harrell. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Matt Wells has to give him, you know, at least give him a call. It's like, you know, why not? <laughs> Just uh, uh, if anything catch up, maybe pick his brain on, on some offensive schemes you can pick, you know, use next year. But uh, it's, t- it's tough for Graham to walk away from $1.2 million, uh, you know, at USC right now coaching mm-hmm. a, a top, top 15 undefeated team. Uh, playing for the Pac-12 championship it's uh like I said I don't think that's a very realistic um scenario and outcome that would happen but the the names I like uh two in particular that I'm, I'm really fond of one of them we've been talking about for uh since we played them this year first game of the season HBU is Zach Kitley who is actually now he, he is the western uh Kentucky Hilltoppers that's right. Uh, Offensive coordinator. So he moved from HBU to Western Kentucky. Uh, I think it, it, you know, wouldn't be out of the realm of, of possibility for him to pull a, you know, Chris Beard and, and sign with them. And then if tech came in, obviously, you know, moving over to a big 12 school and, and taking that opportunity at nobody would fault him there. And I could see him doing that. He has a lot of Texas tech ties, which, which is good. And, um uh, uh, I guess before I get to that, you know, we're talking about the beginning of this year, we played HBU and, uh, you know the, the Kitley coached offense with with uh Billy, I think his first name was uh Zappy. Billy Zap or yeah. Zappy's his mm-hmm, last name. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, well, I believe is in the know, transfer he, he threw- portal
1: in case Texas Tech is looking for a uh court. He, he
3: is and and uh I wonder how many more years of eligibility he has. This is might be a hot take to some Texas Tech fans, but I mean I wouldn't be I wouldn't be above going and getting Kitley and getting Zappy to come with him to Texas Tech because that guy threw it all over the yard 600 plus against us in the first first game of the year against the secondary that, you know, got better and, and had some moments in big 12 play. But Zach Kittley, uh, again, I'll run through his Texas Tech ties. His dad is the track and field, the national champion, you know, track and field coach. Uh, uh, and and he also actually, Zach uh, attended Tech uh, is, a, is a grad from uh, TTU and you know, my partner and co-host uh, Nick Thompson on Ramblin' Raiders has been talking him up for a long time, really thinks he's, he's got a, you know, he's co- coached under Cliff. He worked with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick uh, Mahomes has been um, publicly verbal about his praise and support uh, for, for Zach Kitley and, you know, how he had such a big impact on his time at Texas Tech and on his career, which I thought was, you know, huge. The one gripe I'll, or the one, thing that i think people are worried about with kitley is that he doesn't have i mean he has zero power five experience as an offensive coordinator and he's only called as an offensive coordinator 16 games i believe was the the uh, stat I, I read up on saw on him it was uh yeah 16 total games and you know big 12 defenses are going to be a, a significant step up so his his lack of experience is concerning and then this next guy who also has lack of experience is kind of his other um Biggest hindrance is Garrett Riley, which you know Riley. Everyone's familiar with uh, head coach Lincoln Riley. This is his brother, who was a former walk-on at Texas Tech and is now the uh, offensive coordinator for Sonny Dykes at SMU. You know he he's uh, coached under Riley at East Carolina and and uh, you know spent some years as an assistant at Kansas. Was the running backs coach at Appalachian State when they went thirteen and one, and then uh, you know now is is you know a part of that SMU team who's seen some success offensively, I will say against the two uh, top uh, 25 teams, uh, AP teams that they face this year, their offense sputtered out and didn't do as well. I guess that could be a concern, but, you know, he's, he's come up through the, through the ranks and, and is a a guy who clearly comes from a family of, of very offensively gifted minded individuals (laughs) with Lincoln Riley. And so uh, I think a lot of fans are high, high on him. His only thing is, you know, it's, uh, again, they struggled against this year SMU. I'll, I'll say struggled against top twenty-five uh, opponents, and you know he's um, he's got a little more he's got more experience obviously than Kitley, but still not not necessarily proven. Um, uh, and and so I guess that's the biggest biggest issue. I've also and I have I'd had to do more research on this, but I know the Kent State you know offensive coordinator's name was thrown out there that they're putting up big numbers in the the Mac uh, action. You know, they're they're a hot offense over there. Coastal Carolina, uh, offensive coordinator. Of course, that team with the success they've had this year, I think that, uh, you know, their coordinators are going to start getting picked off uh, slowly but surely here uh, coming into the next year just with with how, you know, great of a season that they're having. But, yeah, the main ones, I honestly think it will. um, You know, I'll go ahead and say, I I think it will come down to Zach Kittley or Garrett Riley um, and and will be one of those two. But I've been wrong before. Uh, If – And so, uh, you know, who knows at this point, but I I truly believe it'll, it'll come down to one of those two candidates.
1: All right. Well, we'll certainly track this as, uh, as it develops and and see who ends up calling the plays on the offensive side of the ball for Texas Tech next season. Uh, Jackson, appreciate you joining the show today. Jackson, of course, the host of the Ramblin' Raiders podcast. Uh, For everybody who wants to check out the show or, or you yourself, where can they do so?
3: Yeah. So we're, uh, we're active on social media. You can follow us at Ramblin' Raiders on Twitter our Instagram is uh, at rambling Raiders as well. And then we have a Facebook page, Ramblin' Raiders podcast. We also, our website is rambling Raiders.com. We have write-ups on there that we, you know, do a lot of write-ups for Texas tech athletics. And then our episodes are downloadable. We have merch stuff. I mean, we, we have, uh, any and everything you would need to know about the Ramblin' Raiders brand Ramblin' Raiders media. You can check it out at dot Raiders.com. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. We we love interacting with our listenership.
1: Jackson Griffin, thanks again, man. Everybody, go check out their show. They do a good job covering the Red Raiders. Uh, and uh, sir, we'll probably have you on again this summer as soon as we uh, find out some news here and start talking to more Texas Tech football.
3: Well, yeah, I appreciate it again. You know, I've I followed the Ten Twelve podcast and uh, I enjoy um, you know following y'all on Twitter and y'all's takes. I think y'all do a great job of you know, fairly and, and accurately covering the, the Big 12 at large. So uh, it's, it's a pleasure to come on and, and, you know, give my take on here. And I look forward to doing it again, hopefully sometime in the future.
1: If you're like me, you've got someone on your holiday shopping list who loves a really good cup of coffee. So if you want to brighten their morning and their Christmas, might I suggest you go and support our sponsor for the college football season, Lazy Fair Coffee. Ethically sourced beans from around the world roasted right in the heart of Big 12 Country in DFW. Five fantastic flavors to choose from, like the Café New Guinea. Bright and fruity, with a lighter body, it is tea on steroids. Or maybe there's someone who likes a Tanzanian delight. An African twist on what we think is Turkish delight from the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, Yeah, you've seen it. You know. Turkish delight. You're always like, what the hell is Turkish delight? Well, this coffee's like that. So buy a bag and find out. Along with five great coffee flavors, they have a coffee dry rub, which I can personally vouch for. is fantastic. They've got an espresso body scrub, which our good friend Jamie Steyer can vouch for. So you're going to find something for everyone on your list, especially coffee lovers. Go to lazyfaircoffee.com, L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R coffee. Promo code 1012 gets you 10% off your order. And don't forget, if you live in the DFW area, you get free shipping. Free shipping and 10% off the perfect deal this holiday season. So Lazy Fair Coffee, promo code 1012, 10% off, and let you, your friends, and your loved ones be enjoying a really good cup of coffee this year. All right, thank you to both Nick Harris of 24-7 for joining us, as well as Jackson Griffin of Ramblin' Raiders Podcast. Um, Okay, so Chris, Daniel, last week, an interesting week. We need to recap real quick. Uh, Chris and I went one and two, uh, Daniel went 1-1 and won on account of the Cal-Washington State game that he picked uh, got canceled. So I uh, missed on Baylor plus 6, missed on Louisiana Tech plus 22.5, but I hit on Memphis plus 5. I knew Memphis was going to win that game, and they scared the crap out of me, but they pulled it off uh chris missed on baylor plus six hit on tcu minus 21 and a half but also missed on coast carolina minus 13 they had to have a drive at the end of the game a wild one just to win that game so they did not cover the 13 point spread uh daniel hit on oklahoma state minus four and a half missed on tcu plus 22 and a half and of course that Cal washington state game got canceled uh, so our totals then uh, i believe at this point this is where it gets weird. So I am 28, 35, and 1. Daniel is 31, 30, and 2. Chris is 32 and 32. I don't like math. This is getting <laughs> math. Here. I don't know. You guys are still close. We've got two ge- picks this week and, of course, our Big 12 uh, bowl games, and we'll figure that out uh, coming up here uh, on Sunday. Chris, you had a really interesting question. I want you to be able to ask here on the show, and I want you to to, to get an interesting answer from Daniel. Chris, what you have a you have a complaint that we uh, we kept our picks in for the Oklahoma State Baylor game? Yeah,
0: you know at five hundred, I I typically don't get uh, too upset with the loss. I'm definitely not going to win all of them, but I was a little salty with the Oklahoma State Baylor game. I don't feel like that was the game we bet on at all. With nearly fifty. You know, players coaches out for for Baylor we make these picks early in the week that when that information came out you know that that completely changes the scope of the game I will say I did uh, uh hedge my bet a little bit by saying it felt like a spot where Oklahoma State would just come out with nothing to lose you know season's gone so now we'll show you what you know we could have been um as they tend to do sometimes. And and so I I did feel like it was a spot like that, but I said, it's not a spot I could bet on. But then that comes out with the Baylor uh, issues they were having. It just, it feels like that's not the game we bet on. And that uh, the books would just take it off the board and cancel the
4: bets. So, uh, you know, in the case of, you know, in this situation, maybe it felt like Baylor wasn't representing the people they're going to be fielding. Right. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, that's the situation, you know, Baylor still showed up and they still fielded a team. And. But, but I guess, you know, in the context, like you're asking a betting, you know, mm-hmm. it, the game happened in the time and place that it was represented to happen. So tickets are live, you know, win or lose. Had you won the bet you would have said, oh, wow, I can't believe it. This is so great. Baylor was shorthanded. They came out, they covered, or they won the game. I still won. I love it. And there's no complaints. Um, You know, when there's, uh, I can't remember, it was maybe a year or two ago, LSU Vandy had a game and they had to, uh, everyone who bet the total early in the week just got an insane number. There was a hurricane coming, total dropped like 10, 12 points. And then they just said, hey, we're moving the game to the next morning just to miss uh, uh so we're not playing in this weather well they avoided everybody's bet because time and or place uh, of the game had changed so that will void a bet beforehand uh, even if it's the same stadium same teams everything if they push it out a day they're going to void your bet location they void your bet something like that though they're going to keep your bet i mean think about how many times you tune in you bet on a team you're all excited and then oh, hey, right right before they took the field, starting quarterback got scratched. We're actually going with the backup today. Well, wait, um, wait. I, I get 100% what
0: you're saying. But yeah. my pushback there would be, essentially, all that changes there is the weather. It's not going to be rainy and stormy. The storm moved on. So that's what changed the bet and it was taken off the board. But 50 players and coaches not showing up
4: doesn't change the game, doesn't change the bet. To my knowledge, and in my experience, I have never seen. I've never seen a bet be voided based on that. Like I said, Baylor football showed up and they fielded a team and they played a game. Yeah. So, I mean, I know, would argue that... it's unprecedented. It, it. And I get it. I mean, oh, dude, it, this is this loss, is a you know. But I, I will agree. This is a crazy season. If you remember, at the, I think it was maybe our first pod this year. We said. There's going to be so much of the information game this year when you're betting teams, you know, guys are going to have an edge when they know who's out or what teams are struggling with practice time or COVID or stuff like that. Let's go back to BYU Navy at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think that line was like BYU. I think it was a pick'em. BYU was like minus one versus Navy. And now that spread would be like, you know, minus 28 or minus 32 or something. Um, but at the time, it's a pick 'em. And people who had info knew Navy hasn't practiced, Navy hasn't tackled, Navy's nothing live at all. And then BYU comes out, and I think they won 55 to nothing or something like that. So that's just an example of the information game that was happening this year that we talked about. And I think Baylor was a victim of that. And Baylor Betters, I guess, this week were sort of a victim of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry i, I, I wish i had a different a answer
0: for that <laughs> no i mean I, I get it and i and obviously you know i know that the game counts and that's counting stuff like that i just uh from i don't really know how to explain my position other than that i felt like the
4: bet was lost before the game kicked off oh and sure kinda, you tuned in and you're like you know you put down your 50 hundred bucks on the game and it's like hey what the hell mm-hmm. this isn't the team i bet on right? Like, I, I I get it, but it is what it is with the books.
1: I think the moral of the story is don't bet on college don't
4: bet money you can't just lose. Just don't do that.
1: Yeah. Don't, don't, no matter what you think, something can always happen. Uh, but it is interesting. I, I get your point, Chris. I, I do get it because it's, it's definitely not the team. And it's not even a situation of like one player got hurt or two players got hurt. We're talking about, I mean, I believe the offensive play caller was like a first time uh, position coach. Uh, it's just, you know, but again, it's, it's 2020. It's an unprecedented season. You don't see that kind of thing on a regular basis. Um, and in Vegas is going to go with, yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to keep your money. So that's, that's how it works. The house always wins, man. The house always wins. Okay. So we got two games to pick, obviously our Big 12 championship game and then our uh, non-Big 12 game if you're choosing. So let's just dive right in here. Oklahoma opened as a four-and-a-half point favorite. That line's moved up a bit. It's about five, five-and-a-half, depending upon where you shop. Uh, Over-under set at 58, it pretty much hasn't moved. Uh, it's, it's pretty much 58. You can get it 58-and-a-half if, if that's the line you want to play. I guess Daniel is our winner from last week because he went didn't have a losing record. He just went 500. So, Daniel, man, uh, wh- where would you like
4: to go here? This is a tough game because my raw numbers make this a little closer than the real line. Um I've, I've got circa open this around seven. Uh it got bet down. I mean, this, this is a pretty sharp move. We're we're now down at five and a half. Uh some books even have five. Um, so you know, there's some respected money coming in and taking Iowa State. Um uh, my raw line is Oklahoma minus two. So I don't really know how to play this. Um I have a feeling, I have a sense that Oklahoma is going to win this game. Um, And I know this is terrible. There's no hard metrics here. There's no crazy angle. Um, I just don't know if Iowa State is ready for this moment, right? This is their first big championship, and you tell me, or or first conference championship in, I don't know, 50 years or something for Iowa State. Um, I, don't, I don't know the exact uh, number. I don't
1: think anyone alive, I don't think anybody currently alive was alive at the time they
0: would... Safe the to State State say, the first Big 12. Right, right, sure, of yes. course. Definitely
4: first Big 12, I that's, guess. I'm...
1: That's definitely <laughs> a safe thing. Of the modern fo- co- college football era, this is Iowa State's first shot at its conference
4: title. Uh, yeah, and I don't even know if they've been, like I said, any conference game for 50-plus years. Oklahoma, I, I just have this feeling that they've been there before they understand what they have to do uh, the mentality is bigger than this game obviously you don't want to look past it but uh, guys in this program this coaching staff they understand what they have to do this saturday to be into cons- to be in consideration for something bigger and when i also mix in there's something about, about like when an underdog is popular going into a conference championship game, when you get a lot of Joe public people watching a game and saying, Oh, Iowa State, oh, you know, they become a popular dog at, you know, five points, four points, stuff like that. It feels like the kind of game where the favorite comes out and wins by double digits. We've got 50 50 betting here on Iowa State. The line move doesn't scare me. Give me Oklahoma, the best line you can. Looks like there's a minus fives, minus five and a halfs out there.
1: Yeah, I've got some minus fives that I can give you. I can give you a minus five. Uh, Chris, where do you want to go here, bud?
0: I really, really want to take Iowa State here. I mean, I, you love the underdog. Oklahoma, you know, it's like old hat. It's like Kansas winning the Big 12 in basketball. Yeah, we get it. You're good. I mean, nothing against the Sooners. But I think we all want to see Iowa State win. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think to Daniel's point, Oklahoma's been here before; uh, they're familiar with Jerry World. They're going to walk in, you know, be like, "Yep, this is my old locker. This is it's it's old hat for them." Uh, Iowa State, you're a little bit situation where you might be a little wild by the moment. Um, those jitters will wear off, but will they really wear off in time? That's the that's the question. If Oklahoma starts hot, can Iowa State recover? And then with uh, the Big 12 went to the whole rematch to that 13th data point because that one missing data point could keep you out of the, the playoff back then, you know, all those years ago, now you can have four or five, it doesn't matter, uh, missing, apparently. Back on track. <laughs> with – I pulled all the data. And when they went to this this rematch game, I pulled all the data with rematches, and it's about 50 50 where the team that won the game one uh, defends it and wins game two. And, and uh, when you account for everything, however, if you just look at bowl game rematches, which I tend to think are a little more competitive, like, like we're going to have to, do where it's always one versus two, because sometimes conference championship rematches aren't competitive. You because of the divisions, right? Like I mean, like Big Twelve South versus Big Twelve North, whoever won the South is most likely winning the, the Big 12. Very rarely would you get that upset there. Um so I look at the the bowl games and the the team defending their win only defends it about 30% of the time. 70% of the time, the team that lost game one wins game two. It's really hard to beat a good team twice. It just is. It's really hard to beat a good team twice. It's gonna be super hard to beat OU twice. Pound for pound, hundred versus hundred percent. What we've seen so far this season, I believe Oklahoma's the better team. They're they're scary good. They have a monster defensive line that's gonna give Purdy problems. And uh man, I I I'll take the Sooners at lowest. I, I think I'll point head at five if I can get that. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Uh, Same thing I gave Daniel. You can get it at uh, OU at minus five. So interesting stat. Shout out to our good friend, Keegan Renault who who put this out there. Um, Since 1999, when Bob Stoops took over, right. Uh, And I know the line has gone up to five now, but this is interesting stat. Oklahoma has been in a four and a half point favorite or less, only 27 times since 1999. So that's, that's what I have the open as here. Um, the Sooners are 20-7 and seven against the spread in those games, and 10-2-1 against the spread the last 13 times. Oklahoma has been a four-and-a-half point favorite or less. Now, obviously, this is a little bit different because we've got it at five now, and I don't have the numbers for that. Um, that would tell you taking Oklahoma in a spot like this is probably a good bet, right? Uh, and, and, I, and I do think it is. I do want to note a reason that I, I am having a little bit of, of hesitancy uh, with this bet so shout out to james pollard on twitter uh, j pollard underscore three says under matt campbell oklahoma has outscored iowa state 128 to 67 in the first half of their games iowa state has outscored oklahoma 100 to 46 in the second half iowa state performs well in the second half of games against oklahoma matt campbell's a good coach coaches these games well lincoln Riley's a darn good coach he does not lose the teams twice. He hasn't yet. Anytime someone has beat him, to your point, Mac, uh, Chris, in the regular season, in the rematch, OU wins. I think Oklahoma wins this game. I just do, and that's not a shot at Iowa State. I do think this game is close. I think this is a close game. I think the reason, I think the line is pretty, pretty good. I don't think I can catch up to you guys. However, I would like to try. So when I go through our, our our options here, I find Oklahoma as a six-point favorite at Treasure Island. So what I'm going to do, because I think this will be a close game, is I'm going to take Iowa State plus six. I believe wholeheartedly that Oklahoma is going to win this game. I think Iowa State is good. I think this is a legitimate team. I think they're a real team. I don't. I think they are... I think that both Iowa State and Oklahoma are better than when they faced off the first time. I just think Oklahoma has improved more than Iowa State has. So with all that said, I think Oklahoma wins this game, but I will take Iowa State plus six in part because I do believe in the Cyclones having a really good game against Oklahoma and I need to catch up.
4: So that a little is little game theory. Get you back Notice in. Notice he had us picked first. That's smart. That's a smart host. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's my show. You want you want to pick last. Credit. Start your own podcast.
4: And he got a ti hanging that soft line too of a plus six. Even better. Smart all around. That was smart on his part. Every angle he looked at it.
1: By by this point in the season, I would hope I've learned a few things or a few tricks. I will forget all of them by next September. But for now, <laughs> um, okay. So for our non Big Twelve game, Chris, why don't you? Uh, where, where would you like to go here? I know where you're going to go, but where would you like to go here?
0: Well, I mean, the Big 12 rematch. I got to go to the other rematch, right? I mean, the team I've been looking at all season that I've been writing with, Raging Cajuns, Coastal Carolina the rematch. I mean, how do you not love Coastal Carolina? I understand that they they let me down, but but I'm not mad. They got the win. In fact, two weeks in a row they have got the win in dramatic fashion. I don't think it's going to be as close this week. Now we, I just got done talking about how hard it is to beat a team twice in this season, but I think coastal Carolina is fundamentally better than ULL. And. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep riding with them. They're my team this year. I love their. story. I want them to stay undefeated. Pulling off that win last week, pulling off the win against BYU. um, Just incredible. So even though they let me down, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with them again.
1: Just in case you'd like to know, you are four and two when picking Coastal Carolina. So far, could be six. worse. See, yeah. This will be the seventh time this year you've picked Coastal. You were four and two when picking them, so that's not a bad bet. It's not a bad bet. Um, okay, I'll take this. And it's uh, uh, earmuffs, kids. This sucks. Uh, I wanted LSU and Ole Miss because LSU opened as a four point favorite, and as of this morning, they were still a favorite. Uh, the line has gone all the way to Ole Miss's side, which takes all the good fun value out of it for me. I know they're there and I know our rules, but I can't allow myself to take the Draft Kings line, so I'm not going to do it. That just feels scurvy. Okay, so I'm not. I'm not gonna. So I look through the games and I go, mm, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know where I want to go. Uh, I see Clemson as a 10.5-point favorite, and I think that's way too big. I think we're putting way too much stock in Trevor Lawrence being back for Clemson. It's not like uh, Uyelangole, I think I got that right, who was the fill-in quarterback for Clemson when Clemson and Notre Dame faced off the last time, had a bad game. It's not like the offense was like a problem. So I, I think that that's too big of a line for Clemson, but I don't want to touch that. So I keep looking, I keep looking, I keep looking, I keep looking. And then I come upon Marshall and UAB. Marshall opened as a seven-point favorite. The line's come down quite a bit. Um, Now, look, Marshall was undefeated, and then somehow they inexplicably got shut out by Rice. I still don't know what happened. I don't know how that happened. It doesn't seem possible. Uh, It shouldn't have been possible. And yet somehow Marshall lost a game to a Rice team that's not very good, but somehow. UAB's pretty good. UAB UAB has been a solid football program since they came back from the dead. This zombie program continues to win. I think this is the second straight year they've won their division in conference USA and will go to the conference title game. But as much as I like UAB, and I do, I don't I don't like them that much. Um I don't think they're that good. I think they're fine, but I don't think they're that good. So because I don't know where to go, I'm just going to blindly throw a dart at a game where I go, I don't, I don't like that line. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Marshall. I think the best I can get is five and a half. I think Marshall wins this by a touchdown. So if I think that, it gives me a point and a half of wiggle room. I'm going to take Marshall minus five and a half. I'm going to go against where all the betters are going, which is probably not the best thing, but I don't care. Uh, and I'm going to take Marshall and cover the cover that five and a half and, and win conference USA. And uh, so, yeah, right,
4: Daniel. Hey, to help with your Marshall pick, you're actually in an okay spot there. Um, fading conference visitors off a win on uh, back-to-back short weeks. So uh, hope in case it all went over your head fading uab is profitable here in this spot so um good luck to marshall good luck to your pick yeah hey i didn't get a chance to do our uh to get a pack 12 under in last week uh let's see cal and washington state they were on the field they were ready to go those kids were warming up when they pulled that game so that hurt to have that one pulled from me we are going back to the pac 12 though asu visits Corvallis, Oregon State, Saturday night. It's going to be 13, 15, 17 mile an hour winds. There's going to be rain. It's going to be high 40s. It's going to be miserable out. This total opened at 57 and a half. With the wind and rain on tap, we had Heritage hit it pretty good at 57 on the under. Anybody following me on the Action Network app, you saw that I got in at 57 and a half. This line has been bet down now to 55, 54 and a half across the market, and I still think there's value. Uh, One reason, one one little narrative piece to all of this is everyone just saw ASU put up 70 points last week. They got Kevin Sumlin fired. That's how bad they blew out Arizona. I mean, I'm sure there's other reasons, but that was the game, the nail in the coffin. So ASU won 70 to 7. Everyone's thinking this team can score at will. I think Arizona State's their six last games have gone under. Um, Oregon State, uh, the the they've gone over the closing line a few times, but as far as the opening line, I think they're three and three, or excuse me, the last three to to the under. Both these teams are sort of playing under football right now. Oregon State is a running team. Uh, we had the steam move to push it under the wind, the rain. I think this is still live at the 55. You can get or the 54 and a half. So, my non Big 12 game, Oregon State under. Cash it.
1: I can get you 55 and a half from BetMGM. Oh,
4: that soft book over at BetMGM. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we will be back on. Monday, we have a very fun surprise on Monday. All five of us, and when I say us, I mean myself, Daniel, Chris, uh, Andy, and Jamie will all be together for Monday's show. It's going to be our last show for the year. We're going to recap the the Big 12 championship game. We're going to talk about the bowl destinations. We're going to make our bowl picks with Andy and Jamie and Chris and Daniel. We're going to have a big end-of-the-year kind of show. We'll do a full year end recap come January, uh, and we're going to do our secret Santa that we're all very excited about. We've we've uh, we've each drawn our names. We have someone that we're buying gifts for. It should be really fun. And I want you guys to be able to participate as well. So here's how you can do that. What I need from you is to go to wherever you listen to your show, primarily Apple, because that's where this is the easiest way to do it. I want you to leave us a review. You can be Funny, you can be. I hate Andy's voice. I hate. I don't like Phillip's voice. Leave us five stars. Leave a review, and then DM us the picture of that review so I know who you are so I can talk to you on Twitter at Ten Twelve Podcast. And we are going to give someone a nice little prize pack from our sponsors from Homefield Apparel and from Lazy Fair Coffee. Okay, I got a nice little thing that I'm excited to give away. Loved having our sponsors this season. Um, so I want to give some of that awesome, good stuff to one of our listeners. So if you're an iTunes person, if you're not, if you're on another pro, uh, platform and they let you t- write a review, write that review, five stars, screen grab it, DM it to us on Twitter at 1012 podcast. Uh, and uh, and you'll be entered to win. We'll pick one of our listeners to take home a fun home field apparel slash lazy fair coffee prize pack. So Make sure you're following us on Twitter at 1012podcastTE and the number 12th word podcast. Uh, make for sure you're following us on Instagram as well at 1012pod where we do all sorts of things, uh, exclusive content included. We actually just posted uh, or I posted what I believe would be my all big 12 team for this regular for this season. I uh, got a little graphic on there if you'd like to go and check that out in case you want to know what I think. Uh, who I think were some of the best players in the Big 12 this year. Of course, follow our good friends here, Daniel and Chris. Daniel at Danner B7 if you want to learn more about betting college football or sports in general hit him up D him him there on twitter and he'll invite you to a really neat slack group of course you can follow chris on twitter as well but don't follow his personal account he doesn't like that he doesn't do anything fun if you want all the sports takes and you want to follow him at the underscore lgg land grant land grant gauntlet of course as i mentioned we'll be back on monday for our last show of the year gonna have a big one it's called an interview extravaganza secret santa leave us a review to enter We'll talk to you guys then.
4: Sports Social Podcast Network.